welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. As a brief reminder of the series through James that we've been working through, God has given us the book of James to urge his children to live out their faith in a time and place where the things of this world are at war with the church and seeking to infiltrate it. More than once, we are called to cast off the wisdom and practices of our age and instead to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to conform our thoughts and actions to his standard of righteousness. But with that call to obedience comes the ever-present reminder that it is God who brought us forth by the word of truth. He is the one saving us and changing us for his glory. We must keep these two truths in the back of our minds as we study any passage of scripture. God has called us, changed us, given us his spirit, and empowering us to follow him. And then he calls us to radical joyful, and disciplined obedience. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, to focus primarily on the call to radical obedience, a call to put off sinful speech and put on Christ-likeness, a call to tame the tongue. Let's ask God to help us as we humble ourselves before him anew. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name forever and ever. It is our heart's desire to see your kingdom come. But until that day, give us the grace to live for you. Bring every part of us under submission to your word. For we know that in your will, we will find eternal joy. May you be glorified today as we humble ourselves before you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Several Weeks ago, I told you all about the Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy that my wife and I added to our family. That little puppy has now grown into a rather unruly five-month-old, getting into the trash, ripping plants out of the ground, running off with my shoe. But by far, we find taming this wild little creature the most difficult when we go for a walk in our neighborhood especially when the girls are riding their bicycles. The puppy wants to go everywhere, left, right, forward, backwards, up, down, around and around in circles, and then refusing to move at all until mommy catches back up. Taming an out-of-control puppy can be difficult, but it is nothing compared to taming our own tongues. Let's read James chapter 3, verses one through five together where we are warned about the tongue, a small yet powerful member of our bodies. Verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, 
wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James has already warned his readers about the dangers of the tongue back in chapter 1. But in chapter 3, he will express his concern in earnest. His first words are to teachers or to those who would become teachers. In verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. This word teachers describes an authoritative teaching role. In Judaism, they were known as a rabbi, a spiritual leader and teacher. The specific application of this warning goes out to, all, to those serving in roles we would call today pastors or elders. Men who stand up in the gathering and authoritatively proclaim, thus says the Lord. Apparently, there was an unhealthy eagerness among James's readers to be that person, the one who had their voice heard. Their desire to teach was not stemming from Christ-like character, gifting, and calling. Therefore, James warns about the danger of teaching others in a dishonorable way. He says in verse 1, Know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There is great seriousness and responsibility in proclaiming the meaning and application of God's words. And James says the teacher of God's word will be judged with greater strictness for how they teach and lead others. What does he mean when he says that teachers will be judged? It is true that there will be no condemnation for the believer on the day of judgment. We will be saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But it is also true that our works, our deeds here on earth will be judged whether they be worthy of reward. Were we faithful with the gifts, abilities, and possessions God gave us? And James is saying that on that day, teachers will be judged with greater strictness because the words of teachers have far-reaching consequences in the lives of others. Paul writes of the same concept when he compares the work of teaching to that of a builder whose work must pass the test of fire, the fire of God's scrutiny. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, speaking of Jesus Christ, our foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, the day of judgment, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. All believers will stand before God for reward. That which was done in spirit and in truth will pass the test. What was done in the flesh will be burned up and will count as nothing. And as James says, teachers will be judged with even greater strictness for their words and deeds held greater consequence. James further explains his concern in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. James includes himself in this confession that our flesh is still at war with the spirit within us, causing us to trip over our own sinful desires. No one is exempt. We all stumble in a variety of ways. But as we soon will see, there is at least one way we all stumble. Here James switches gears from specifically addressing teachers to now addressing the entire congregation. He continues in verse 2, 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Here we see the beginning of James's argument. He is claiming that what we say, our speech or the tongue, has disproportionate power and influence. So much so that if a person was able to completely control his tongue, then having mastery of the rest of his body would be within his reach. One commentator wrote of verse 2 this way, So difficult is the mouth to control, so given is it to utter the false, the biting, the slanderous word, so prone to stay open when it were more profitably closed, that if the person who has it in control, that sorry, that the person who has it in control surely has the ability to conquer less unruly members of the body. Ultimate perfection or completeness will only be attained when we are with the Lord. But Christ did not put any limitations on this life, on how closely and passionately we are allowed to follow after him. Therefore, we are to seek and desire to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And James is saying that in our pursuit of perfection or completeness, we will experience some of the most radical rebellion against the spirit's control in our lives from this one member of our body, the tongue. How can such a small member of our body be so powerful? James gives us two images to help us see this truth. In verse 3 and 4, he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. The point is this, small objects often have disproportionate power to guide and influence a large object. As James says in verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Don't be deceived by the tongue's small size or its apparent inability to do bodily harm. The tongue truthfully claims great power. Having established the power of the tongue, James moves on to warn about the tongue's great potential for destruction, for it is a restless evil. Let's read the second part of verse 5 through verse 8 together. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A small campfire left unattended, untamed, can cause devastating effects in the natural world. And in the same way, our tongue, left unattended, untamed, can cause terrible devastation to individuals, homes, or entire communities. For it is a fire, as we see in verse 6, a world of unrighteousness. By this, James is most likely emphasizing the tongue's capacity for participating in every form of wickedness. 
and whatever unrighteousness you might find under the sun. He goes on to give three reasons why he condemns the tongue in this way. First, in verse 6, we see the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. The unbridled tongue is the exact opposite of religion that is pure and undefiled before God, which is to love your neighbor as yourself and to keep oneself unstained from the world, as we learn in James chapter 1. Second, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. From beginning to end, there is no circumstance that is outside the destructive potential of the tongue. And third, The tongue is set on fire by hell. Hell in this instance represents those for whom hell was created, namely Satan and the demons who follow him. Therefore, the tongue is allowed to trample and burn, tear down and destroy. James says it is emboldened to do so by demonic power. In verses 7 and 8, we also read, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. In contrast to how humanity has multiplied and subdued the earth, taming all kinds of creatures, James says, No human being can tame the tongue. You may be wondering, if no human being can tame the tongue, then why entitle your sermon, Tame the Tongue, with an exclamation mark at the end, as if it were possible and expected of us? James is entirely correct. We cannot tame the tongue. We simply cannot do it. But I also know that the Spirit of God living within every believer is powerful enough to bring every part of us under his dominion. Some believe that is why James uses this unique way of describing mankind, by specifying that no human being can tame the tongue. Augustine wrote this about verse 8. James does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men, so that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity the help, the grace of God. No human being through their own willpower can tame this unruly member of our body. We must cast ourselves upon the mercy of God, for only in the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, can our tongues be tamed. Because as we see in verse 8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. When I hear this description, the first image that comes to my mind is that of a ferocious lion armed with venomous fangs, pacing back and forth in its cage, waiting for its handler to let down his guard for just one moment, ready to strike if only given the slightest chance. At this point in the passage, we must stop and ask ourselves, do I really believe this? Do you really believe and affirm that the tongue is truly set on fire by hell in a restless evil, ready to poison and destroy if given the opportunity? It may be difficult for some to affirm this. Maybe you have not experienced the ferocity of words spoken in anger. 
Maybe you haven't seen someone's character dragged through the mud because of a little white lie. Maybe you haven't been tempted to descend into bitterness because of another's thoughtless words. I highly doubt it. It would be difficult to miss the rampant outpouring of hateful speech in our world, especially with the tools for communication at our fingertips. And the church is not immune. When we speak about people who don't look like us, act like us, or think like us, do our words sound more like this, the wisdom of God, or do we sound like everyone else, the wisdom of this world? In case you are still not fully convinced that this tongue of ours is as bad as all that, James finishes this warning with a specific example of how messed up, how divided in loyalty a Christian speech can be. In verse 9, he says, With it, speaking of the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These illustrations speak for themselves. It is contrary to nature, to God's design and purpose for a tree to bear figs one moment and then olives the next. Also for a freshwater spring to suddenly start pouring out salt water in an even greater way. It is contrary to God's design and purpose for a Christian to one moment be standing in church singing praise to our Lord and Father and then to go out and curse people who are made in His image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James points out two extremes of what can come out of our mouths. Blessing God is put forward as one of the most righteous ways we can use our speech. To bless God is to praise Him, kneel before Him in worship to express gratitude and delight in Him. Blessing God, then, is contrasted with cursing people who are made in His likeness. Cursing another person is put forward as one of the most wicked ways we can use our speech. Because to curse someone is to call on God to damn that person to eternal punishment in hell. It is in direct opposition to the teachings of Christ. In Luke 6, 28, Jesus says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And in Romans 12, 14, we read, Bless those who who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Someone might be thinking, I should be okay, though, because I can't remember the last time I ever cursed anyone. But before we let ourselves off the hook, we must realize that blessing God and cursing men are simply two opposing extremes James is using to highlight the broader issue of the divided loyalty of the tongue. One moment, it is a tool for light speaking truth into a dark world, proclaiming the glory of God and Christ's victory over sin and death. 
but the next moment it is a tool of the flesh, a mouthpiece for darkness, burning and trampling those who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. If these things ought not to be so, then what is the solution to this problem we cannot fix? Who will save us from this terrible giant in our lives that keeps defeating us on the field of battle? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our story. He has defeated sin and death so that we can have victory through him in this life and the next. He has called us, changed us, given us his spirit, empowering us to follow him. And it is in his power that we are able to respond to these truths found in James chapter 3 and to every other truth found in scripture with repentance and faith. Repentance, the act of agreeing with God about my own sinfulness and then turning from that sinfulness to pursue wholeheartedly after God. Faith, the act of trusting in him with abandon, trusting that he has and he will accomplish all that he has promised. Repentance and faith. It is what we were called to when we first believed, when God transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. And it is what we are called to for the rest of our lives here on earth as Jesus daily is rescuing us from the sinfulness of our own flesh that so desperately clings to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this family here today. A family that you have brought together by your power. Do a mighty work in us through your word so that we might be filled with joy as we walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to Him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to Him. Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to Him. No one else can be my strength, I should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful, He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to Him. No one else can be my shield, I should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful, He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus.
Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. For the Lord is good and faithful, he will keep us day. 